Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, you'll hear from a pharmapreneur who has been in the long-term care, specialty pharmacy, and now telehealth industry. There is a bit of feedback in the audio, so bear with us on the episode. Today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast, the CEO of T1 Telehealth, Todd Barrett. Todd received his pharmacy degree from the University of Mississippi, which is also my alma mater, so we are fellow Ole Miss Rebels, and he's been a president of the Mississippi Pharmacist Association and has been and is currently involved in leadership positions in numerous other companies. He is a true pharmapreneur. Todd, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps and tell us a bit more about your personal life. I have a lot of gaps, I think. (laughs) I haven't done retail before, so I don't know much about that. I did hospital very briefly, so I know very little about that. Most of my pharmacy life has been involved in long-term care pharmacy. And I did a did a break out of that and into some technology stuff about 10 years ago or so and specialty pharmacy about 10 years ago or so. And so those are the things I know the most about. Um, I have learned what not to do in a lot of the different aspects of pharmacy. Sure. And that's interesting because, you know, so many pharmacists think that there is only retail and hospital pharmacy out there, you know, when we're on rotations Uh, They're kind of structured as your community and institutional. So it's really going to be fascinating to hear a bit more about your involvement in leadership at the different companies that you've been involved with. But could you tell us a little bit first about your uh, what T1 Telehealth is and a bit more about your current role with them? Okay, so T1 Telehealth, it was a telehealth company that started about two and a half years ago, I think, and our first foray into telehealth was to try to see how we could uh, bring telehealth to individual patients in remote areas throughout the state, and we discovered that that was, a, that was really difficult, and it, part of the problem was connectivity is not available in a lot of the remote areas throughout the state. But one of the other problems is, is it's difficult to schedule um, patients from a telehealth perspective remotely um, because of the convenience of it and because of the, uh, the, the amount of interaction people prefer over a telehealth portal. It uses a lot of resources that you don't use when you're inside of a clinic. Like, for instance, when a patient comes into a clinic, it's pretty much expected that the visit's going to be short. And if the patient's at home at, where they're comfortable, they tend to slow down and ask a lot of questions and interact with the physician or the provider more. And so that, that model didn't work out exactly the way I thought it would when we first tried to do that. What we found or what we discovered later was is that there was another 
obstacle, and that is, is after you made the visit, there generally results a, you know, within a prescription being written or more than one prescription being written after the visit. And because now then the patient has to leave their home to go get the prescription filled or somebody has to go get it filled, it's that level of convenience at home, it sort of gets, I don't know, mitigated by the fact that the, they have to go get the prescription filled. And so what we thought was is that, hey, let's, what if we put the provider in a retail pharmacy where they're coming to the pharmacist and a lot of cases are coming to the pharmacist to find out if they need to go to the see the physician or the nurse practitioner. And the first question out of their mouth typically is, is that, hey, I've got this particular condition. What do you think? And the pharmacist generally refers them back to the provide to the a diagnostician, somebody they can diagnose a problem and prescribe a solution or you know a prescription for it, and then they come back to the pharmacy. One of the things that we thought was is if we could put that provider in the pharmacy, you know, it'd make it a lot more convenient for the patient because they would be right there. So the scenario goes like this: the patient walks into the pharmacy, interacts with the pharmacist. The pharmacist says. You need to speak to a nurse practitioner or to a primary care physician, and we happen to have one right here. How would you like to talk to them? A patient goes into the kiosk or into the room we've got set aside, interacts with the with the uh, nurse practitioner or the primary care physician, comes out with a prescription, or actually the prescription then gets e-prescribed uh, to the pharmacy that they're located in, and Within just a few minutes, they've been seen by a, by a provider and gotten a prescription filled, and they're on their way home. We found that that was a lot more convenient and a lot faster than pretty much anything else we tried. Sure. Then, you know, having that all kind of consolidated really seems to make a lot of sense. And we are seeing some pharmacies with clinics, but there are sometimes limitations with that. Maybe the hours do not match up with the pharmacy. And so you've still got a few gaps in that. So I think this this telehealth model is really unique in having a very, um, I guess, accessible uh, provider there at the pharmacy and just kind of really making it convenient for patients to receive uh, excellent care. So that's that's really fascinating. And you're in uh, several pharmacies in the Mississippi area. And are there any other locations where a patient might be able to experience this type of telehealth pharmacy model? Right now we have a location in Mosby's in Canton, Mississippi. We've got a locations in the Fred stores that are uh, throughout the metro area of Jackson. And so Fred's, Fred's Dollar Store and um, Mosby's are the locations we currently have. The, we'd love to expand out from Jackson. Uh, the bottleneck, of course, is trying to find providers for us or, for, or to partner with people that have providers, you know, that our preference would be to find a health system with providers that needed access to remote locations and we could provide that uh, connectivity 
and that you know the scheduling and the um, the video connection and the peripherals and the things like that you need to make remote diagnostic uh, determinations. Sure, and it sounds like this would be a really great fit for a lot of those remote rural areas like Mississippi or or like many areas across the country um, and helping to connect patients to primary care providers, which uh, we know that there are there is a shortage of. So I, I'm excited to see how uh, telehealth can expand and can help reach those hard to reach patients and uh, really exciting to see how that grows. So, Todd, you, you've also had some experience in specialty pharmacy, and you mentioned long-term care. Could you tell us a little bit more about your other companies? I started, well, actually, I cut my teeth on long-term care back working for a company um, that's one of the one of the larger long-term care uh, pharmacy chains in the, in the U.S. I learned a lot about how to take care of patients in long-term care facilities. It's uh, long-term care pharmacy is difficult because the customer base is um, difficult. And I don't mean difficult in a in a way a negative way. I mean difficult because of the regulations that are imposed upon long-term care facilities. So um, they are or have been in the past the most regulated industry in the nation. It was incredible to me to find out that. Um, uh, Ten years ago, I made the comment that it was the second most regulated industry in the nation to somebody, and they corrected me to say, no, it's, it's the most regulated industry in the nation because uh, they just passed nuclear power by four regs uh, last <laughs> week. <laughs> so, you know, if you can imagine having an industry that's more regulated than nuclear and having wow. to and having to meet those, help them meet those regulations. And it's a... It's onerous. Um, it's difficult. Uh, it's fun because you get to figure out, you know, how to meet the regs or how to, you know, how to accomplish taking care of the patient within the regulatory framework that's that's thrust upon you. And a lot of people don't like doing it. And so it's a it's a market that's dominated by two large companies that have pretty good systems in place. And to keep and to compete with those companies is um, has been a challenge, but sort of a fun challenge. Sure. And you must be an expert on all of the Board of Pharmacy regulations as you're now serving on the Mississippi Board of Pharmacy. So uh, I'm sure you're very well versed and in, in, uh, the go-to for all things long-term care for the Board of Pharmacy in Mississippi. The long-term care regs I'm comfortable with. The rest of them, I, I have to go to the book every time somebody asks a question. And like I said, I don't know much about retail. So if somebody asks me a retail question, I generally have to go find someone to ask the question to again. When you talk about regulations and the Board of Pharmacy regulations, you know, we've got regulations for nuclear pharmacy, long-term care pharmacy, retail pharmacy. We've got um, mail-order pharmacy regulations. We've got um, regulations for storage of medications in different environments like um the nursing homes and you know assisted living facilities and pharmacies and this is there's a it's not as straightforward as I thought it would be when I first got in it's complicated 
It sure is. And there's a, a law exam for every state. So <laughs> <laughs> I've taken my fair share of MPJEs when I was a specialty mail order pharmacist. So I can definitely uh, understand uh, the need for regulations and, and things like that. So Todd, you've also been uh, involved in the specialty pharmacy arena. You've ha- kind of had your toe in a little bit of everywhere. How did you get involved in specialty pharmacy? And I guess you've kind of been on the, the cutting edge just as each new field is kind of really becoming popular, like telehealth now. You're, you, you seem to always be right smack in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I, somehow or another, I, I, I kind of see things coming, and I, I try to figure out, you know, if there's an opportunity in the middle of it. And a lot of times, there's opportunity out there for anybody that, that wants to dig it out, you know, anywhere from uh, mail-order pharmacy to nuclear pharmacy to specialty pharmacy to long-term care. As pharmacy evolves very, very quickly, and uh, healthcare evolves very, very quickly. And then right now we've got a lot of evolution within the healthcare industry, and that's going to be a catalyst for change. And I think anytime you have a catalyst for change or an opportunity for change like we've got now, is that there's also tremendous opportunity for somebody to figure out how to do something better. And that always leads to somebody you know, leading the charge or being in front or, you know, taking a taking advantage of it, of the opportunity. Specialty pharmacy, we started back in 2003, but we didn't start it as specialty, or not particularly a specialty. What we came out with was that we saw a need or a, a problem where transplant patients were not, were not able to get, or not able to navigate, let me say it that way. Transplant patients were having difficulty navig- navigating the different payment models or payment issues that came up with getting their prescriptions filled. For instance, a patient had a prescription for a medication that was very expensive. Their insurance company or their payer would pay a portion of that, and the co-pays were either very large or the drug may not have been covered at all. So that left a recently transplanted patient or a patient that had received a solid organ transplant recently with a sort of a, a problem trying to figure out are they going to be able to get their prescriptions filled? And if so, are they going to be able to get them filled with the frequency needed to prevent an organ rejection? And were they going to have to pick between getting a prescription filled and putting food on the plate, you know, and being able to feed their family? And at the time, I think, if I remember right, the average transplant prescription was somewhere around $1,200 a month. And the average payer would pay something around 70% of that. And so that would leave, what, three or $400 a month that they had to come up with. And a lot of patients were um, unable to come up with a difference. And so Transcript was born out of that problem and uh, trying to help patients navigate through uh, different supplemental insurance, uh, different supplemental payments by Medicare, Medicaid, indigent patient or indigent drug programs for patients, you know, grants or charities or other places where they could have access to um, getting the co-pays or their, their non-covered portions uh, covered. And what we found was is that a lot of patients that we were filling prescriptions for Probably about half of them had some sort of difficulty getting uh, getting coverage on the non non covered portion of their of their prescriptions, and so we helped them navigate that. We spent a lot of time 
training billing personnel on how to help patients uh, navigate that. And so because we did that, we picked up a lot of business. It kind of grew from there. During 2005, there were a couple of things that took place. One of the things that took place in um, 2004, actually, was a change in the Medicare Part B reimbursement. Initially, we had we had a very small margin uh, on our prescription on the transplant medications, and that small margin, we were still able we were able to operate within that small margin. But in, uh, when the payment when the Part B payment changes took place in 2004, that margin completely evaporated for about half of our patients. Half of our patients, we were actually paying to fill their prescriptions. I would get reimbursed less than the drug cost me. And so that's a hard place to be, you know, for any length of time. So we, we went and went to D.C. and we lobbied um, Congress. We lobbied to try to get the, try to get the, either the, the, dis, the cuts reversed or try to accomplish some way to, to, to cover the difference between our costs and what our reimbursement was. And we came up and we were able to find within the MMA, uh, the Medicare and Medicaid Modernization Act back that was passed in 03, I think, or 04, we found a provision for a supply fee, and that supply fee is still in effect for transplant patients or medications under the Part B plan. And that was the first time that pharmacists had ever been paid to, you know, something other than a dispensing fee. This was a supply fee, and it had a different connotation, different, you know, different amount, you know, more, it was, it was larger than a dispensing fee. And so it was, it was a difficult kind of paradigm shift for a lot of people, but it was absolutely necessary for us to have that in place to be able to, to continue to fill prescriptions. So that, that was, that was good for pharmacy and good for patients. That particular issue coupled with Hurricane Katrina kind of shifted our focus from pure transplant to a broader spectrum of drugs and what now is considered to be specialty pharmacy. Wow. And so, Todd, you've really kind of been a pioneer in, in a lot of these uh, unique fields of pharmacy. Could you share with our listeners maybe a lesson learned that you've experienced kind of along the way? <laughs> yeah. Flexibility is absolutely necessary and be you know, be willing to change. If something's not working, be willing to change it and be willing to say, say no quickly. Don't be afraid to pull the plug on something that's not working. Sure. And I think we've talked about maybe a, a kind of grid or a rubric that you <laughs> use in making some of these decisions because it is a little daunting to go out on your own and, you know, start a business or, you know, leaving the kind of safety net feeling of retail pharmacy and stepping out into a field uh, like specialty or like telehealth that hasn't quite, you know, proven that track record yet. But how, what, what do you use to kind of help make those decisions? That's an awesome question. I like your term rubric. It makes it sound smart. But the thing that it's, you know, it is, it is a grid or a rubric or a, or a, a litmus test. And that, that is, is that it, there's certain criteria that attract me to a particular business model. And those criteria are it, it has to deliver better health care to more people for less dollars. And so, and, it, and it's, you know, with outcomes payments or payments for outcomes, you know, to where this healthcare model seems to be moving. I think that that rubric is, is, going to be essential if you have a if you have a group of patients and you want to spend a certain amount of money on treating them then you should be able to measure your outcomes against the dollars and if 
you're and if you get more you get better outcomes with, with less dollars then whatever that thing is you're doing ought to be repeated if you're getting worse outcomes with more dollars then you should stop at that quickly those I, yeah from a rubric litmus test grid whatever you want to call it but that's the thing that that i kind of just throw everything up against people have, I've got friends that say, hey, what do you think about this business idea? And I said, I think it's great. It just doesn't fit my grid. It doesn't deliver better health care for more dollar, you know, for less dollars, rather, you know, sure. to more people. So, I mean, it, there's great ideas out there. They're just not, they're just not health care related or they're, you know, they don't accomplish the goal. Right. I think that's really helpful. And I think that's a, that's a great tool that that others can use when they're trying to make those kinds of business decisions and you know you, you're keeping patients at the forefront so that's always important Todd you've been really at, at the kind of epicenter or kind of ahead of the curve I guess I could say on a lot of these things happening in pharmacy what are some of the things that are exciting you about the future of pharmacy Pharmacy has an opportunity I think we should not miss, and I think that is um, pharmacists are the most frequently seen healthcare provider in, in the system. So patients go to a physician once or twice a year typically on average, and they go to the pharmacy 12 times a year on average because we fill prescriptions 12 times a year. You know, and this is a, there are exceptions like mail order where you get a 90-day 90, 90 supply for a medication or there's, you know, there's exceptions where you, you have uh, patients that, that you know, have acute conditions that you know, don't require some chronic medication be filled every single month. But by and large, for a lot of the patients that are impacting the, the dollars, you know, the cost of the healthcare system, those patients frequent the pharmacy at least monthly. It gives us an opportunity to interact with those patients, and it also, with data, with um, you know, with an intuition from a pharmacy perspective, and also with uh, the access we have to you know, the local community, we can anticipate some things that might come up with with patients, and it helps us interact and be proactive with patients that might be sensitive to getting sicker faster. Like, for instance, a diabetic patient. In Mississippi, there are half of the patients that we service or, or half of the patients that we fill prescriptions for or see on a regular basis are going to be diabetic. Also, 50% of the patients that we see or treat are, high, are hypertensive. Although, the, you know, it's not a one-to-one correlation between diabetes and hypertension, it's pretty high. There's a lot of comor- comorbidity with that, those two conditions. And because of that, the pharmacist or, you know, has an opportunity to see things a lot faster. If a patient comes into a pharmacy, and we were, you know, paid as providers rather than just paid for the prescriptions and things that would things would look different. Patient would come in as a diabetic patient. The first thing probably we would do would be doing, you know, would do a either an A1C or a finger stick or something to find out if, you know, where they are on their treatment. We'd also check their blood pressure because we could have an opportunity to do that, and it doesn't take long. It's difficult to do things like that when you're paid by the prescription because the motivation is to fill a lot of prescriptions. If you're paid to manage a patient or to or to manage the outcome of a patient, then you're going to act differently. So I think the motivation is changing within the healthcare industry towards outcomes. And as that, as that motivation changes, then the payment also will, will change and follow that. And I think the behavior of pharmacists will change and follow that as well. I see it. I see pharmacy as an opportunity to impact patients quickly on the front end and be proactive. I think the more treatment you have or the more 
how do I say that? I, I think the stance, I think a proactive stance and patient treatment is going to use less dollars and have better outcomes than chasing a rabbit after, after somebody's already had some, an exacerbation of a chronic disease. Exactly. I think we've got to move towards more of a preventive model than the reactive system that we're in. And and we're definitely seeing a lot of changes shifting towards that value-based care, but uh, looking at at quality. So, you know, we've got PQA, the Pharmacy Quality uh, Alliance that is out there and a couple other organizations that I think are really kind of leading that. And and I agree, having, having patients with better access to providers and maybe that provider is a pharmacist. So uh, I think it is really exciting. I was, um, yeah, I was actually on the medication reconciliation subgroup of the PQA back in 2006. And we, we were charged with how to measure and how to approach medication reconciliation. And it, back then it was very, you know, the, the concept was new as patients transitioned from one healthcare system to another or from home care to health care or to home care to acute care or from acute care to nursing home care. All those transitions, during all those transitions, medication reconciliation rarely or never took place. And one of the, that was interesting to me coming in from a long-term care, we did a medication reconciliation on every admit just as a matter of course, because I needed to do that to get the prescriptions. It never occurred to me that it never happened anywhere else. That is so interesting and and what how neat that you were able to to be on that subcommittee. So Todd, as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self and for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? There's an old quote that I think it was out I think it was Edison Thomas Edison, if I remember right, but it was you know, success is um, you know 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. And I don't remember if the numbers are exactly 10 and 90. Maybe it's 10, 1% and 99%. But the amount of perspiration is you know, a great deal more significant than how much inspiration you have. Everybody has an idea. Mm-hmm. But um, you got to be tenacious enough to see it all the way through. If you turn around and you know everybody's gone or no, no longer following behind you, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong road. It just means the road's very difficult. Sure. And you've definitely been persistent. I mean, and in means of uh, specialty pharmacy, you know, having to kind of foot some of that bill until some of the reimbursements came back. But, you know, we all know that that specialty pharmacy is now certainly a booming industry. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, Transcript is is doing uh, great things now. So it's exciting. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us and for sharing a little bit about your background and story with our listeners on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thanks, Hillary. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, 
for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week to hear about drug prices and to learn a few tips on how to pick out the best healthcare insurance plan.